Hey. Oh, hold on a second. You might as well take a moment and wipe yours too. All right, that looks good. You ready? I'm ready. Let's take a view through Ashlyn's lens. Well, if you don't know by now, my name is Ashlyn, and this is my podcast where I invite you in to take a view from my lens, or through my lens, actually, which is basically me allowing you to see things from my perspective in a way, and maybe even adjusting your perspective or mine based on what happens in these conversations. So we're in the midst of a segment called Becoming Pastor Ashlyn. Yeah, you heard it. I'm becoming a pastor. And there are certain questions I had to answer while on this journey of becoming a pastor, even questions I had to ask God, questions um, those outside sources that I trust were able to answer for me. And even that I'm still getting answered as I journey through this moment of my life. Well, I thought that it was befitting to invite you into this journey as I'm not launching the church or we aren't launching the church until next year. But there are some things that I have to go through while getting there. So guess what? I'm inviting you to join me on the journey. And while we're doing that, we're answering some serious questions. And I've invited some amazing guests to come along with us on this journey. Today we have, oh man, I'm so honored to have this guest today. He is my pastor's pastor in such a well of wisdom, Bishop Freddie Marshall. Come on in, Bishop Marshall. Hello, Ashlyn. God bless hey, you today. It's such a pleasure to have you. I'm doing well. How are you? It's an honor to be with you. And it is a, an extremely wonderful honor to be a part of you becoming Pastor Ashlyn. I'm excited about all of that. This is oh, tremendous. man. You've had such a hand in this happening. I mean, just in December, it was your hands or the extension of your hands that even up into the place of being an elder, which I had to become to even get to the point of a pastor. So I'm so blessed to have you. Not only that, I see um, an extension of your hand just about every day with my pastor, Bishop W. Shannon Jackson. It's sometimes when we're talking, I can hear your voice almost. So thank you. <laughs> Even coming, and for well, me, it's your beat that I'm made to be. Thank you for that, and I, I am absolutely a fan of your pastor. I'm not just his pastor, but I'm really a true fan of mm -hmm. Apostle Wade Channing Jackson. But you know what, Pastor Ashland, I'm a fan of yours. I remember when we were sitting in one of our sessions for the Church Planters Institute. Uh, there, I think we were in Montgomery or Birmingham. I can't recall which which city. And um, I, I sensed on you the assignment, but I also saw the hesitancy, the apprehension. So to be at this moment is a a wonderful thing to behold as it relates to you because it is proof that those whom God calls, he qualifies and justifies, but he also brings them to a moment of saying, I believe this is really the will of God for my life. I'm just glad to be here with you. Glad to be in this moment. Yes, sir. I can actually, I can be honest with you now. Um, I remember that, I remember that conference. I actually remember trying to avoid coming to it 
And um, because it was called the Planters Conference or something of that sort. And so I said I was not going, even though I already knew I would be a pastor. God had already let me know at that time. I still was trying to avoid it. And my bishop called me and said, you need to be here. So I hurried up, dressed and I came on. And when I came, you welcomed me and said, uh, you called me a planter in the midst of that meeting. And I remember saying, oh, Lord, did Bishop tell him? <laughs> yeah. So this is interesting to even be at this point where it's now my yes that I still kept privately as long as I could has now become public. So thank you for even joining me along the journey and for acknowledging um, who God called me to be when I was definitely trying to keep it under wraps. <laughs> I'm, on, I'm honored to be a part of the process with you. Yes, sir. Well, um, let's introduce today's segment will be, well, today's episode of this segment, it's actually called, why, well, the question that we're answering is, why does mentorship matter in ministry? And so um, I'm going to, I know that, Bishop Marshall, this is a topic that you're very familiar with. You have Mentorship Monday, which I invite everyone to join you on. Uh, every Monday, you talk about mentorship and different perspectives or different um, objectives even that mentorship has in the body of Christ or even in leadership period. So um, let's talk about it today. And let's start with the very simple question. Why does mentorship matter in ministry? Well, I believe mentorship is really an extension of the heart of God toward those that he has intentions for using. And let me give some clarity even to that answer. We have pastors, spiritual mothers and fathers who have a place in our lives. We also have biblically room for other voices that are significant to the process of us becoming. And so I believe that it is the genius of God that opens us to the necessity of finding mentors who can help us along the way. Keeping, of course, in perspective all of those relationships and those voices, but being open to the didactic moments that come through interactions that we have with others whose voices we value. And, you know, Paul really does kind of open us to that methodology, though the Old Testament gives it to us by principles and by patterns. Uh, but Paul, when he was writing to the Corinthian church, he says, though you have 10,000 instructors, you have not many fathers. The idea is instructors mentors have their place and it is not their place to try to replace any of the significant voices that are in our lives, but it is the role of a mentor to be a supportive voice, to be a voice that gives uh, the uh, ideology, the symmetry and the connectivity of thought. Uh, you know my son, Pastor Justin, who is being positioned as successor for our local church. 
it came to me several years ago that as much as he had grown up in the house of the bishop, I've literally been a bishop his entire life. And so he's not known me in any other context other than dad and bishop. That's a plus, but then it is also a disadvantage. Let me tell you why. Because his context, or I'll use your verbiage, his lens mm -hmm. of ministry is only the one I was able to provide. And so I said to some key leaders who I trusted, I want to send my son uh, to shadow you. I want to send him to intern with you because I understood the significance of him not seeing ministry only through my lens, but through the lens of other leaders. Now, that was the, the leaders that I, I, vo I voiced that to were all shocked. They were like, nobody's ever said that to me. And I thought about it. No one ever said it to me. Right. But I was able to take advantage of mentors and not in the sense of taking without saying thank you or taking without relationship. But I was able to take advantage of those relationships, even though they were not former, formally introduced by my pastor or in some instances may not have even been the choices, but they were voices that were trusted. I know they were trusted because they never tried to interfere with the pastoral relationship that I had. They only wanted to give to me those points that they had from their own experiences that helped me to see ministry from a different perspective. So mentors are important and not just in ministry, in, in, in our business pursuits. If you wanna be successful, one of the things you do is find someone who has succeeded. If you want to become a thing, find someone who has already become that thing. Shadow them, follow them, learn from them. Some of my mentors um, who were very valuable in my life mentored me without any identity of me for many years before I even felt worthy enough to even be introduced to them. And so they were mentoring me long before a, a, a real connection or introduction. And I believe that that's one of the strengths of mentorship. And that is you're mentoring people or could be mentored by someone and never get in their presence directly. So mentoring doesn't just require relationship. I think it also requires a, an ability to see, sense, and discern in others something that we need. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you said a lot there, um, Bishop Marshall. I was, while you were talking, I was remembering um, back when I was in Baton Rouge, when I first accepted my call to preach. I believe I was a sophomore at Southern University. I know I was 19 because I counted it earlier this week. 
<laughs> and I that was about well, I just turned 30, so that was nine, almost 10 years. No, 11 years ago at this point. Well, somewhere between, we'll just say nine. I believe I made nine years of ministry in July. Okay, so whatever number that is. I remember the day that my pastor and I announced my call to preach to the church. Um, immediately, he turned, his second his second assistant pastor was a woman, Um uh, Marilyn Smith, actually, she he turned. She was sitting to the right from where we were standing at the podium. He turned to the right and said, OK, uh, this is going to be your mentor. Now, before that, I didn't have. A, well, I didn't have an official mentor, you know, going through high school or anything. The teachers always took me in. But for the most part, I didn't call them mentor or anything. He literally said this will be a mentor. And from that day forward, we have built such an amazing relationship. I still call her today, um, especially when I have something going on. I remember even when they're like, you know, mentors become your wise counsel. Uh, that's a part of the counsel that you build that you can go to even with your pastor on that counsel as well. She is abs an important part of my wise counsel. I call her when there are moments when I forget how to pray. I'll call her and say, hey, look, I have this going on. Um, you know, even, of course, I have access to my pastor as well in that way, but a certain moment where I can call her. Actually, I'll share this. I've had, since that moment, I've had, and, you know, I've had a couple of different pastors since I was at that specific church, and I've she's been my mentor the entire time. I'll say that she had, I've had the longest relationship with her at this point. And so, yeah, it just made me think about how amazing it was that I was first assigned and, you know, everyone doesn't get assigned a mentor, but I was first assigned a mentor who was perfect for me, if I may be honest. Even some of the I, I think that that it becomes the strength. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, of the relationships. And, and I hope I didn't cut you off. It kind of froze for a moment. Oh, but it, become, it becomes the strength of the relationships when mentors are endorsed by those voices that we trust. And what your pastor was doing was entrusting you to someone who could identify with what your potential journey would be. And that's another key of mentoring. You know, a lot of times, if there is an insecure leader, that leader will not allow other influences in the lives of those they lead. Well, that frightens me because that sounds like uh, witchcraft. It sounds like an occult. You know, it sounds like it's predatory in a sense because all of those entities isolate people to keep control over them. And a real leader does not attempt to isolate you from the wealth of information that is around you. And I know that there is a distinct difference in being isolated versus being insulated. Right. Good leaders insulate you, but they do not isolate you. And it's because they are not insecure that they can open you to the vastness of the experiences, the wisdom, and the knowledge of others who can play 
a pivotal role in your journey. Right. I absolutely agree with that. I, I even was going to mention the insecure leader because um, it's one thing to be protected. And then it's another thing to be completely um, detached or, like you said, isolated. Uh, oftentimes, you know, the leader has already so much to do. I've experienced being a part of a church uh, at, on, as an associate minister where there were 15 other ministers. And I've also experienced being under leadership where I was the, the most hands-on in-person member. Um, so I've served in both capacities. So I, I can say that um, it's amazing to have a mentor there when you're one of 16 or one of 15 because your leader's going to be pulled on by everyone as opposed to... Um, you know, being that one person that you can go to and say, hey, I was trying to write a sermon, but I, I approached this question and I wasn't really sure what we thought about this as a, you know, what our thoughts are or what what this really means. You know, it's a difference as opposed to having to wait three weeks to get on the board to meet with your pastor to go over it because you might have forgotten it by then. And exactly. so, yeah. And it's exactly. good to have secure leadership around you that says, OK, look. Tell me who this is you're going or who you're looking at or who you're even studying in your private time. Tell You can tell me who it is so that I can let you know how I feel about it or if I even know them. But then they're secure enough to say, hey, I still trust that you will know when some things are off and that you'll come back and talk to me about it, too. You know, real leaders also understand, Pastor Ashland, that we don't have everything right. you need but we can be a resource to everything that you are becoming. And I think that some pastors fool themselves into believing that I'm all you need. No, because, because the gifts that we pastor are so diverse and so eclectic and so gifted we can't sit back and hold people hostage. Uh, and that's one of the warnings that we give to people. We warn them of not trying to be um, that kind of leader that suffocates those you lead um, because of your insecurity. And mentorship is one of those places. I've seen good leaders lose good members because they could not provide for them just a little space to also have in their lives mentors right. who would speak to certain parts of their lives. And I think that that's also the wisdom of knowing ourselves as leaders. We have to also admit where are our strengths and where are our weaknesses. And if my area of weakness is an area where you have been called to have strength, it's wise of me to say, we need to get you a mentor in that area so that they can help to provide for you what I cannot provide. And I'm secure enough to say that because what I provide, they don't provide. 
it's yeah. all about what Paul writes again, being a body fitly joined. It's, you know, becoming anything is like putting together a puzzle. That box shows you what the picture is going to be, mm -hmm. what the picture has the potential to be. But those pieces on the inside must be strategically placed so that they will become what the box displays. Exactly. Mentors are necessary for the pieces. Oh, that's true. I even think about Steve Jobs. I watched a couple of his different um, stories about his life, and he talks about how um, he had his portion. Now, he, he was a genius in his own right, but there were still areas where he was weak. And so he just hired the best of whatever he needed. And I mean, look at Apple still flourishing today. I was even having a conversation today about how, you know, I think they're struggling a little bit because Steve Jobs isn't around to give that type of guidance. But, you know, uh, that's the thing. When you are under, I think when your leadership doesn't allow you the space to expand, it causes stagnation and complacency. And if stagnation and complacency are, are there, then it not only hinders the specific person's growth, but it also hinders um, the growth of the ministry that they're assigned to serve in. Because a leader, a great leader, I believe, would notice that, okay, if you're expanding in an area that I know absolutely nothing about, and I need to make sure you're connected to the right people to learn what you need to learn to grow in that area, then guess what? You're probably going to bring everything you learn right on back to this ministry so that we can expand there. And so I just, I find it interesting that a leader would even allow themselves, and I know we're all human, so we all have our flaws, but it's interesting that they would even find themselves being in such an insecure place for long enough to keep someone from expanding to a point where they have to even leave the ministry. It, it's, it's really this idea of, um, I stopped reading, let me share this, and this is just my journey. I'm not mm -hmm. prescribing this for anyone, but many years ago, I stopped reading books about um, faith, and re religion and God because I, I'm anointed. I'm very gifted in that area. But I recognize that there were areas in my life where I needed help with my management skills, my people skills, uh, my stewardship skills. And so I began to open myself to books I was just in a discussion uh, today with a young man who was reading Malcolm Gladwell's book, David and Goliath. Um, and I'm a Malcolm Gladwell fan. I've read that book twice. I've never met Malcolm Gladwell, may never meet him. But when, when I see his name attached to a work, it draws me because he can speak to those places of my need for expansion. Uh, one of the books that I read many years ago that talks about management and, and understanding brand management is that uh, the average, it speaks to the fact that the average uh, tenure for an executive with a company is about a maximum of seven years. And the thought pattern around that was 
in that seven years, do we give to these young executives all that we have, all that we know? Do we give them access to everything that we do? Or do we limit their access because we know they are not going to stay forever and could potentially be hired away by our rivals, those that we are in competition with? And, and the response is, but if you don't train them and they stay, you have not given yourself the wealth of their potential. When I think about mentorship, that becomes real to me. A lot of pastors don't endorse mentors because, again, they fear that someone's going to lure you away. Well, the truth of the matter is every pastor should be working himself and herself out of a job. Mm -hmm. Every pastor should be teaching, imparting, training to the extent that those who they lead are becoming more acquainted with the voice of God in their lives. That's what pastors do. We're not here to keep you dependent on our voice. We're here to teach you how to hear the voice of God. Now, that doesn't mean that we outgrow pastors and that we will never not need a pastor. What right. it means is the role of the pastor becomes totally different. It becomes that of a guide, that of a prophetic voice. Many people are not even hearing the prophetic voice of their pastor because they don't even know how to follow the voice of their pastor. Real strong pastors understand and endorse mentoring as a part of the process of training those who they are leading to be able to hear God differently. Uh, the text uh, in uh, the book of Kings, Elijah standing at the cave and God not being in the wind, not being in the, in the earthquake, not being in the fire. All of that was about God saying to Elijah, you're in a new season of your life and you must be able to hear me other than in the uh, showmanship of my power. You know, some people only believe they've had a, spect a, a moment when it's spectacular. Right. But we're seeing miracles that are not spectacular, but yet they are miraculous. And so mentors help us to learn these processes in, in the not so spectacular ways. My, my fondest memories of my mentors are not the moments when they were on stage or in a pulpit or sitting at the head of a boardroom table. My most memorable moments have been when they glanced over at me and said something that caused what was on the inside of me to leap. That's what mentors do. Mentors help to awaken things in us. Again, my pastor sees the outside of that box and he or she is responsible for those pieces, but there are pieces that will only come together when I intersect with the right people in my life. And those mentors become those people. 
Absolutely. And I want to go back to the scripture you mentioned um, with Elijah in the cave. I, man, I love that portion because I remember, I can't remember um, where I had the thought or where I posted them post, but I remember thinking about how um, even in that moment, Elijah was asking God a question. And the answer to his question was, the answer to Elijah's question was, raise up your replacement. In the end, he found Elijah to come on the scene. And so I thought that was amazing. He was basically telling him, all right, since this is the question you're asking, I don't know if you're ready for the answer. And so now that you are prepared to hear my answer, now that you can hear my voice, my answer is, it's time to bring on your replacement. I and just that, that, Pastor Ashland, is the key. I mean, you have a revelation that a lot of people have read that text over and over again and will never discover. God only, let's take that same chapter. When Elijah is under that juniper tree, wishing to die, and when he is in, in the place where he's just worn out, yeah. he, he's having a nervous breakdown. Really was. He's having a nervous breakdown. He is emotionally out of connection with God. And mm -hmm. God sends this angel and the angel bakes the cake and provides the cruise and says, eat, drink for the journey that is ahead is mm -hmm. too much for thee. I believe that one of the hardest parts of anyone's journey is when they must anoint who comes after them mm -hmm. because that takes the attention away from them. Right. and puts it on the assignment. And maybe that's why a lot of pastors struggle with those that they lead having mentors, or maybe some executives don't invite mentors in. Uh, for a minute, I was uh, trying to break into uh, the corporate market uh, as a chief enthusiasm officer, uh, just trying to go in to motivate mm -hmm. people who were working, people who had become uh, mundane and uh, the work redundant and just didn't find the excitement. Because people, when our employees or our members or those who are part of just our family units become lethargic like that, it hinders our progress. So again, I think that mentors are important because Elijah becomes uh, that to Elisha. You know, there is not a father-son relationship. That's really not a father-son relationship, uh, even though he's referred to as his father, mm -hmm. even though he's referred to as his master. Uh, that, that is really mentoring. Because he, he he says, okay, follow me, but, you know, I mean, because God gives him, go, go and and find Elisha, the, the son of Shaphat. Son of. And, and when he finds him, he, he denies that he's even thrown his cloak on him. Right. Don't, don't come behind me. I think one of the most difficult portions of any leader's journey is releasing to who's next. 
Yeah. And, and you know, that's why mentors are key. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead, please. I was going to say, so I believe that it is. So I have noticed that with most things that we have, we as human beings have a hard time um, even agreeing with, it always comes down to a fear of something. It's some form of fear, right? And so I believe that the fear of abandonment that comes with knowing who your replacement is or knowing that someone else is coming, uh, like you said, that'll be more in the forefront than you. Because, of course, as we share our wisdom with someone else, then they're able to magnify it in a way that we weren't able to in our time, right? So that means people are going to be looking at that person as, oh, man, they're doing that a little different than the person uh, that they learned it from. So I believe fear of abandonment and even from, you know, just from the boosting of the people that you get and when you're the one and, you know, the one really, um, I think that it's just a fear of abandonment. But the truth is, even with Elijah and Elisha, it was hard. I believe it was hard for Elijah to even accept the fact that that means if Elisha is coming, my end is coming. I believe that when, um, that when Elijah was under the juniper tree and he had basically given up for real and God was saying, okay, you can't go anywhere yet. So you need this strength, which is why he strength. He sent uh, the strength to him, right. To prepare for the journey because he was really sending the strength so that he can prepare to take him away. At Absolutely. this point, I need to take you. Uh, you have done amazing things in my name. I believe God was saying to him, he was saying, you've done amazing things in my name. You've done what I've asked you to do. Uh, but now, at this point, I think you've given up on the, the rest of what could have been for you to do. So now it's time for you to take this wisdom and give it to someone else so that I can take you on out of the way. And this work can be then can continue. I think Elisha was the continuation from that moment because Elijah was just done. You, you've said something that is so powerful. There is a strength to start. There is a strength to continue, but there is also a strength to culminate. Mm -hmm. So maybe I should say a strength to commence, a strength to continue, a strength to culminate. We'll right. make it preaching. Yeah. Commence, continue, culminate. Mm -hmm. And what you're saying kind of locks into an article that I wrote many years ago, back in the 90s, may have been early 2000s, entitled, Why We Don't Finish Well. And what I was observing in that piece that I wrote was I saw leaders build from nothing great ministries, but what they did not do was identify successors and what happened was those that had built these tremendous ministries and had taken them to the pinnacle also was a part of the same ministry declining because we are not taught how and when to step aside. In corporate America, executives go in with an exit strategy. Right. Ministry is the only thing where people go in with no exit strategy. So we're caught in this maze of continuance without knowing how to culminate. 
And mentors help us with, I believe, can really help us with that. Just recently, Bishop Charles Edward Blake, the Church of God in Christ, announced that he would not seek re-election. He was asking to be emeritized mm -hmm. and to step aside. In that denomination, it is not the norm. Right. Number one, no presiding bishop had ever resigned. One had been voted out in their 112, 13 year history. The others died during their tenure. We know how to commence. We practice how to continue. We must also teach how to culminate. And that's what Elijah was struggling with. You know, because he he had become he had become so full of himself. Remember what he said to God? I and even I alone am left. Right. God had to say to him, I got 7,000 prophets who have not even bowed to me. So don't ever feel like if you stop, the work is going to stop. Exactly. I said it in, in my teaching in our focus conference. Listen, people are saying all the fathers are dying. All the mentors are gone. What makes us think God would leave any generation without appropriate cover? He's right. not going to do that. First of all, even if that is true, if that were to ever be true, that means the people, the fathers didn't teach anyone. So that's Absolutely. problem number one. Just Absolutely. like, this is a, a, a little plug here. Just like when people start talking about how all the millennials are horrible. First of all, they don't even know how old the millennials are because most of us are actually, some of us, the earliest age of millennial is 40 now. So I, the people that they call millennials aren't even millennials. <laughs> that is amazing to me. You're saying something that Pastor Justin just said in, in a meeting that we had. And so we don't even know how to identify millennials. And the truth of the matter is we don't have an appreciation for what each, each generation brings to the process. You know, and we're, we're talking about these millennials being this, that, and the other, but it's that generation behind them that is actually the one that's going to challenge. You know, but I thought about this, Pastor Ashland. I was that, I was that young preacher who, the, you know, they, they had to tell me to slow down, hold up, wait a minute. So every generation, I mean, we're now naming our generations. I was a part of that generation that was just like what they are trying to make millennials to be now. We were just that hey boy generation. Yeah. Hey boy, come over here, pick that up. Y'all want to be preachers, learn how to clean up the church. That, that was us because they knew they couldn't give us a mic if we had never held the broom. Yeah. And one thing, Bishop, I want to bring up before we get off the millennial conversation is that um, before they can talk about who the millennial is, that they really don't know who the millennial is anyway, but even the actual millennial, before they talk about um, how the millennial acts or even how the millennial stands up in places where they don't deserve to, or, you know, it stands up to the voice, basically, 
how we question things. I just want to say, you know, where do we where do we learn that from? It's because of our parents that told us, look, you don't just take what they say. You understand why, right? So they taught us that. Then because we're doing it, here we are being uh, told that we're just doing it wrong. We're like, well, no, this is what I was told. <laughs> right. From the teacher, you ask them why you're getting that whipping, right? And so um, when we take a whipping from a leader, sometimes we're going to be asking, okay, so what did I do wrong here? Because, and, and if I may be honest, I was the one that was asking because I did not like getting in trouble, period. It was like one of my greatest fears as a kid. Um, and I had what we call a soft heart. So I would cry just from the idea of possibly getting in trouble. And so I would be asking, okay, so what did I do so that I can mark it off my list of things to do to avoid it? You know, just put that out there. But, you know, I'm grateful that the Lord allows us to first have leadership, but then um, to add to that pastor, the role of the pastor, we also have mentors that we don't have to, um, we basically don't have a reason to not know things. We have so many different avenues and so many, like you said, and I didn't even think about this, about how you can be silently mentored. You can um, be mentored. I know so many people, I'm sure, out there being mentored by Bishop T.D. Jakes because there are so many people that you can see quote them that probably have never seen him in person. You know, and that's just him. I just mentioned him because that's one that I'm sure everyone can relate to. But I can remember, um, Bishop, you were, we were probably, it was probably in December when we were in Birmingham and you were talking about uh, the book. You shared the um, book reference that talks about emotional leadership. And from that point, that discussion, I, I know emotions are something that I've had to deal with. Uh, in a different way since childhood. I basically, growing up as a kid, shut off my emotions because of trauma I experienced. And so then as a college a college age person, I started going to um, a therapist and learning how to reincorporate or reaccess really my emotions. And so I had, I started doing this even after I'd already accepted my call to preach. So that means I was a preacher preaching without emotion and people were telling me that they were like they were still able to understand what I was doing. They understood the word that I was teaching or even sharing. But I was doing that without without emotion. So then um, while readjusting and um, relearning to use emotions or even to acknowledge emotions um, on my natural side, I still wasn't accessing them in my spiritual side. And then I joined an apostolic church. I became Pentecostal. You know, where a lot of emotion was happening everywhere. And I'm just this person sitting down in the chair, barely moving my hand. And, you know, I have everything going on around me. And so, <laughs> and even from the preaching perspective, every, uh, I was Baptist. I was born Baptist. And then I, you know, maneuvered into, uh, I guess we can call me Baptist Pentecostal at this point. And so every Baptist, Pentecostal, and Apostolic all share, the preachers are going to share some type of emotion, whereas here I am, what they would consider teaching, which I still think is preaching just in a different way, um, I will be sharing it my way, which those of you who know me that are viewing know that it's a real different way. <laughs> but to hear you talk about that, and then I even started listening to the audiobook for that book reference. Um, I've been learning how to incorporate my version of emotions into uh, my preaching style, which even, I mean, not just preaching style, but life as well. So, you know, 
I think that even with that, you were basically mentoring me silently. Well, yeah, silently because you didn't know, but <laughs> I was there taking notes while you were teaching about it. Yeah, and I was able to incorporate it into my life in a way that I did need it. Mm -hmm. So I think that, that, that silent mentoring is, is a powerful piece. And, and where people don't acknowledge it, I think that they are saying they are not following the models. And there are too many models for effective and successful ministry, marketplace, anything for us to be sitting back, becoming something without a point of reference. Um, you know, and, and that, I think if this generation, and when I talk about generations, I'm talking about all of us alive at this time. If this generation is missing anything, we're missing the beauty of being able to admit I saw something from a distance that inspired me. Right. Or I heard someone speak something who I was not intimately connected to and I've never forgotten what they said and so on and so on. And when I think about it in that context, I've had mentors in everything. I've had mentors who, who mentored me as it related to family. Now, I was blessed to have my dad in my life, all of my life to this date. My father is in my life. My mom and dad are best friends and still married. A lot of people can't say that. So I, I was blessed with the benefit of a two-parent home. But everything I appreciate about marriage, I didn't get from my parents. Right. There were other families and other men and other wives who I learned certain aspects from. They were mentoring me, sometimes without the idea of even knowing it. I want to share this with you, and not to take up too much of our time or to go over, but I want to share this. When I was a young preteen, my mom would put me in what was a called a debutante cotillion each year. And it was sponsored by a particular sorority. I think it was the AKAs and, uh, or, or the Delta, I don't remember which AKAs or Deltas, but this sorority sponsored this debutante cotillion. And uh, my mom had a very good friend whose daughter was in the cotillion every year. And my mom's friend would always ask if I could escort her daughter. Well, I loved it because it, it got me to be able to put on the, you know, the tuxedo, the tails, right. and we, we were taught the walks and, and all of these things. But what I really appreciated about those moments was that they would break the guys off and they would send us with an African-American man who was successful in business. And it was one particular year, this guy was, was a, he was, it was interesting. He was successful, but he didn't have a big title. He worked at RJ Reynolds Tobacco Company. And he worked in the factory. And this man 
had developed such a system in his life for saving money. You got to remember now, this is back in the 80s. And so he, he said something to me I'll never forget. He said, I never wanted my job to feel like they were my source. They are only my resource. So he would get paid every week and he would hold on to his payroll check because he had developed other sources of income. Hmm. And so after a period of time, the payroll department from RJ Reynolds Tobacco Company contacted him and said, this was like almost three months, I believe, worth of checks had not been cashed. And he said, from that moment, he went and cashed all of those checks because he knew that that person would make it clear to all of the people, this guy does not use our money to fund his life. He mentored me. Yeah. And for 30 years, I'm 53. I've been pastoring since I was 22 years old. I've not worked for anyone else for that reason of what that guy said to me. I never wanted any job or even any group of people to feel like they were my source. Mm -hmm. So my voice, my gift, have been my income. And he mentored me. He never knew it. <coughs> but at 12 or 14 years old, somewhere in that time frame, he said something that stayed with me. That's the power of mentoring. Man. That's the power of mentoring. And I say this in the context of our discussion for ministry. Every good leader ought to thank God for the mentors that those they lead are able to find because mentors help us in the development of someone becoming. Amen. I mean, that's amazing. Shoot. Um, he, you, he just third party mentored me with that, um, with that statement because it makes me rethink, okay, now what can I do to to uh, support me for a whole month where I wouldn't need um, my payroll check so that they can know that they aren't the source because they aren't. And so, yeah, that's third-party mentoring in the flesh. <laughs> but um, I think that's an amazing, thank you for sharing that story. And thank you for even sharing your wisdom here. Um, I'm sure that this video will be a source of mentoring for someone else who will be viewing it. And I want to end it um, even with this statement. Um, while we were talking about Elijah and Elisha, that, that's a um, relationship that I've had to study my basically my entire life in ministry um, because I've heard words, um, prophetic words to me about Elijah and Elisha. I'm the Elisha. And then it even shifted. So um, with that in mind, I was thinking about, um, well, this isn't even Elijah and Elisha. But I, I thought about when Elijah put the, his coat upon Elisha. And I was thinking about, uh, I believe it was Joseph that had the coat of many colors. So, I, so okay, my name is Ashlyn. It stands for dream. And so I also look into, I identify with Joseph because he was a dreamer. And so I thought about uh, Joseph's coat of many colors, but then I, I pictured my, I pictured um, 
Elijah placing that coat of many colors upon Elisha. And you know, I was thinking, it's quite interesting. I believe that our access to the many colors this day will be the many mentors that come together to form the mantle in which our um, the mantle that we're receiving from who we're receiving it from, the different pieces, the different stitches, the different patches, um, they come from also the mentors that help make up that mantle in which we carry. And so I just I think, think that's powerful. Well, amen. Um, thank you again for joining us for this moment, uh, for joining us on this journey of becoming Pastor Ashland. I mean, you've been here obviously outside of just this podcast, but in my actual life. So I'm grateful to have your voice as one that is trusted from my leader that I can lean to. And I'm grateful to glean wisdom from you in every way that I can. I even, I'm even grateful that you allow me to flourish as a leader in the, uh, in greater church. You've not only, um, called me apart as an elder or set me apart um, with God's voice, of course, uh, as an elder, but you've also allowed me to serve in leadership capacity from the moment that I've joined Greater Church. So I just wanted to publicly say thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. I believe in you and I want you to know that I absolutely believe in you and watching who you are becoming blesses my life. So know that you have my support. Lady Zay and I talk about you fondly. We pray for you and we are in your corner. So as you move forward in this journey, I think this podcast, this broadcast, all of this, uh, this is a powerful tool. I love it. I'm going to suggest that others utilize this platform. So you'll, you'll hear me talking about it a lot. But what I'm seeing you do is absolutely tremendous. So know that you have us in your corner and we are appreciative and celebrate even the other voices that are a part of your life and are a part of your journey. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me a part of this tonight. I'm very honored. Thank you. Well, it's truly been a pleasure, Bishop, and I know you're coming back. So um, those who are viewing, get ready to hear from Bishop Marshall again sometime Thank soon. You. And Bishop, I'll be back with you in just a moment. Um, all right. Well, thank you for joining um, this podcast. Thank you for taking a view through Ashland's lens. It has been an honor to even share with you. Um, make sure you come back for the next one. We'll be here every Monday um, at 630 Central Standard Time. Thank you again for taking a view. All right. I think this was a pretty good view, if I might say so myself. Bye bye. <laughs>